dear Christian friends. It was a terrible time for God's people. They had largely abandoned the Lord, and they followed their own idols. It was a bit worse that they were fooling themselves along the way, thinking that everything was just fine. They had fooled themselves into thinking that as they carried out those sacrifices, as they went to the temple, as they offered up their prayers, they were doing great. But the Lord saw their hearts. Their sacrifices weren't getting them into a good relationship with God. And they were not hiding from Him how they were living out their lives. They were wicked, evil, violent, and unjust. They were idol worshippers, selfish. They were uncharitable and uncaring toward others, unloving. They didn't help those who were in need. God even describes them in Isaiah chapter 1, and he says this, I have raised children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. He further says, They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They have deserted Him and turned back. What an awful description of God's people. But this was the situation that they had gotten themselves into. They had gone into further and further sin as they had worshipped their own idols. And again, what was even worse is that they were totally blind to it. They had fooled themselves into thinking that everything with them and God was just fine. And if you would have asked them, they would have said, Sure, I go to worship. I bring in my sacrifices. I offer up the, the bulls and the lambs and the rams. But all the while, they weren't fooling God. And so God determined that it was time to finally escalate the situation. He made it clear to the Isaiah that things were going to get much more harsh. And he delivered through Isaiah in 39 long and harsh chapters a condemnation against his own people. God had harsh words of condemnation. He he let them see clearly what their sins were like. He warned them sternly against the way that they were living. Again and again, over and over, he even threatened them finally with exile. But they wouldn't listen. They had fooled themselves into thinking that it wasn't true, it wasn't going to happen, not them. And so God decided it was time to finally escalate the situation. They weren't getting the hints. And they were more than hints. They weren't even listening to God's prophet when he spoke. They had stopped their ears up against God's word. And so finally, God decided to even take away from them that temple and those sacrifices and all the worship that went along with that temple there in Jerusalem as they would be carted off into exile in Babylon. He wanted them to turn, to turn from their wicked ways and to repent. God wants a turning in our lives too. 
He wants us to stop and honestly and truly consider where we have turned away from God. Whether it's a, a particular sin that is in our life that takes a foothold, something that perhaps we're blind to, or, or an area that we are particularly weak at. God does want you to evaluate your life and to honestly see where you have turned away from God, at least even in a portion of your life, even on an occasional basis. He wants us to evaluate ourselves against his holy and perfect law and to see our sin. And so how's it been going for you? What are those areas in your life where you can honestly say, I shouldn't have done it that way? That wasn't God's way. That wasn't a way described as loving and caring and charitable. Maybe you exchanged harsh words with somebody. And as you did, the conversation ended and you were both upset. And you finally thought to yourself, fine, I don't need to talk to that person ever again. Problem solved. And yet God tells us to live in peace, in patience, in love toward others. Not to live in vengeance or to ignore people. Or maybe it's the way that you've been living toward God directly. Maybe it's been your, your worship life and it's been the way that you've handled your schedule. And I know it's around this time of year particularly, schedules can be so full. And along the way, we can not only forget about loving and caring for others because we can just think, I'm just so busy, too busy. We also can even, amazingly enough, cut God out of the season entirely. We look at our lives and look at our schedules and we might well think, there's just no time. I don't have the time. There's work and there's school. There's sports. There's family. There's all these other things. There's the presence. There's all these things on the calendar, travel and everything. But then when we stop and finally honestly evaluate have we been doing our best? Have we been letting God have his fair share of the schedule? Or have we been skipping the Bible classes, maybe only occasionally sitting down to worship publicly? And maybe it's been that those prayers have been rushed around the table and those family devotions that should have been taking place, they've now gotten pushed off the table entirely. But you know, it's not just about studying God's word and taking time for prayer. God doesn't just want five minutes here or half an hour there. He wants us to worship him 24-7 with all that we do. Yes, even as we are at that supermarket or as we are at our family's house. As you are traveling on the road, as you are at work, even while you're sleeping, he wants every moment to be a moment that you live for him. Or perhaps 
you look at your life and your schedule and you think, you know what, I'm doing just fine. I've been giving God a, a good portion of all of it. I, I've got a good balance between the work and the family and the school and, and everything else on the schedule. And it all balances. Well, then there too, there's another danger. A danger of thinking that we're doing just fine on our own. That pharisaical attitude that thinks, what do I really need a Savior for in the first place? Aren't I living out the way that I should be? Aren't I living the kind of life that God wants for me? And then comes the doubt. Satan sets us up with that one false attitude, that attitude of pride, so then he can come in later and knock us back down again, trying to get us to despair. And he whispers those doubts. Yeah, but are you sure it's enough? Yeah, but did you really do your best? And he tries to introduce even a little doubt into our minds and into our hearts so that he can then widen the gap until we despair entirely. Satan is perfectly content to let us have either camp, on the one hand being pharisaical and prideful, on the other hand being led to despair even thinking that we're so bad off that God couldn't possibly call us his people. In all these things, dear Christians, we need a turning in our lives. And this is not something that we can do for ourselves. It is a turning that we desperately need, but a turning that only God can work in us. But he does. As he instructed his prophet, comfort Comfort my people, says your God. God has comfort for you today. It is beautiful, blessed comfort in your Savior. It is the blessed comfort of knowing that God has rich blessing for you, even though you don't deserve it. He further expounds upon this and says, Speak to the heart of Jerusalem and call out to her. Her warfare really is over. Her guilt is fully paid for. Yes, she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And so there we have it. There is the comfort. It is knowing that our sins have been paid for and doubly over. God has given to us twice what we need. As he gave to his people in the Old Testament twice what they needed. Now, even in the context, we're not totally sure if this is something that he's talking about, a punishment that he's dealing out, or if he's just talking about blessing. He might be saying that there was a certain, there was a certain chastisement, a certain amount of correction, a certain amount of discipline that his people needed. And so he carted them off to Babylon when they wouldn't listen. But now, instead, God is saying that was... That was enough. In fact, you've already satisfied twice over what was really necessary. The implication being, it's done. There is no more correction. There is no more chastisement. I'm going to call you my people again. On the other hand, he might just be talking from an angle of blessing and simply saying that whatever his people needed, whatever amount of blessing that they needed 
for their lives and their souls. He was going to give it to them and twice over. What is very clear is that in either case, he's saying there is a double blessing for his people. He's saying that the past is over and done with, and that whatever sins had been there once, they are now forgiven. They are now gone. They are now dealt with in his promises. And so there is comfort. Yes, comfort for his people. God gives even more comfort. And he says that he has come to set things straight. There's that voice calling out in the wilderness. It says, In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. In the wasteland, make a level highway for our God. Now, if you think of the original context of these words, it's helpful. The picture is that God's people are off in exile. So from your perspective, that would be this way. So if Jerusalem is off down here and Babylon is up here, there would normally be a route that would take you to Babylon up to the north in this huge northern arc to get there. You wouldn't just travel straight. The reason being was that there was a huge desert in between, the Arabian Desert. You wouldn't want to go that way. So instead, they followed the water route way off to the north, which was a bit out of the way, but it was the best way you could get there. And now God is saying that's not the route that he was going to take to get to his people. He was saying he was going to make a straight line as quickly and as rapidly as he could possibly get there and go straight for his people to get there as quickly as possible with his rescue and deliverance. He didn't want them to be stuck in exile, not a minute longer than necessary. And so he calls for those mountains to be leveled. He calls for those valleys to be filled in, and he says, make there a, a, a desert highway for God to reach his people as quickly and swiftly as possible. And all of this huge comfort for his people. These words speak to us too. They speak to us because, as we saw from John the Baptist, this same call in the wilderness is picked up by him, and it's a call for us too that we make a pathway for God, or rather that we cry out to God to make a pathway into our hearts. And so there needs to be a huge construction project there are mountains that need to be leveled. There are valleys that need to be filled in. Those crooked paths need to be made straight. But again, this is not something we can do for ourselves. Instead, we call out and trust in the Almighty God who can do anything for His people. We call upon Him to use the proverbial bulldozer and wrecking ball, to use the proverbial paver in our hearts, to knock down sinful pride, to fill in the valley of despair, to straighten out those crooked ways of fear and doubt. In short, we cry out to God to turn our sinful hearts into something that they could have never been on our own, a heart of flesh, a heart that trusts in our Savior, a heart where Jesus sets himself up as king and chases out those sins. 
And so that, that level path, that straight path, is the quickest way to have God to come into our hearts and into our lives and set himself up as our king. Now, eventually, as the history goes, God did give his people the comfort of returning from exile. The Lord would come from Zion to depose the Babylonian king Nabonidus and his co-regent Belshazzar. This happened as he gave victory to Cyrus and the Persians in 539. He did use Cyrus then to call his people out of their captivity. He allowed them to go back to their homeland, back to Jerusalem, and so they did. They evaluated how Jerusalem was. They looked at the outer wall around Jerusalem and they rebuilt it. They looked at the temple and they evaluated it and they made their plans. And, and sure enough, after enough time had passed, they got to work and rebuilt that temple again. And so God, this time, he had his ears open when they said their prayers. He eagerly received those offerings that were put onto that altar and the aroma from the burnt offerings as it, as it drifted up towards him in the heaven. He smelled that sweet-smelling aroma, and again, he received it all in his grace and in his mercy, and he called them his people once more. He received their worship once more for the sake of the Savior who was coming into the world. And so God set up the final stages of what it would take to bring our Savior into this world and to do all that he would need to do to carry out God's promises as he would eventually himself one day set foot in that very Temple Mount area as he would teach and preach and as he would drag his cross through those streets there in Jerusalem. This all happened according to God's plan at his perfect time and in his perfect way to show us that our one true Savior is Jesus Christ and that in his name we have perfect and pure comfort in his name. Another great comfort is that the word of our Lord endures forever. And so when we look to his promises, they never fail. God gives us promise after promise throughout Scripture in all those different books. We see that so-called thin red line of Christ, which is his promise. We see him in the Old Testament as he points ahead to his coming. We see him in the New Testament when he did come. We see him in the epistles as they talk about what he did and how he continued to rule his church in the early Christian church. In all these things, we see our Savior. We see him as the one true Savior and we see God's promises fulfilled. We know that our God, when he makes a promise, he means it. He doesn't forget it. He won't change his mind later. He is not incapable of fulfilling what he has promised. And so we can hold him to those promises. And he encourages, encourages us to do exactly that. He encourages us to hold him to his promises, to pray those promises back to him and say, Lord, you have made this promise to me. 
Be faithful to your promises as you have said. So when we pray to God for faith and peace and joy, when we pray for life eternal, when we pray for our daily bread, when we pray for forgiveness, we know what God's answer will be. He has already told us. It is yes in Christ. It is absolutely, dear Christian, it is, of course, my dear child and heir. All these are yours through your Savior. And so it offers us comfort, yes, rich comfort, heaps and mounds and mountains of comfort all through our God's promises, through his grace, and through what God has done through Jesus that rings out for the rest of history. What rich blessing we have in Christ. Rich blessing that is ours today, tomorrow, and forever. Rich blessing that will not even stop even though death finally takes us. Because even there, there is even more comfort, more life, more joy as we enter into God's heavenly courts and into his eternal kingdom. Comfort, comfort, people of God. It is all yours in Christ. Amen.